Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Marcus. Marcus here. Andrew and Eric there. You tell me <laughs> what I should be writing for this week's sham fiction. Well, Marcus, uh, you did so well the last time you wrote with Wes Anderson that we thought that we should throw another famous filmmaker, uh, you, you could maybe say auteur, at you for this <laughs> week's episode. So we decided... <laughs> I know how much you love the concept of the auteur. So oh, it's a theory. Your it's prejudice right better not show. salt in my eyes. <laughs> so uh, we chose Martin Scorsese. And specifically from Scorsese, something you haven't seen, a pretty recent film as of 2013. Ooh, uh, we're talking about demon. The Wolf of Wall Street. Ooh, the, okay, the, with the Leo. Uh, with the Leo, because it's, it's Scorsese. You, you don't even have to say with Leo. Oh, it's a Scorsese movie. Oh, the one with Leo? Yeah, that's every one of them. Uh, uh, <laughs> That'd be a so, little more specific. Well, well, I mean, I guess not Hugo, whatever. So, Ooh, uh, better with Leo. Yeah, yeah. As the little kid? As the everyone. Oh, okay, just <laughs> put him in wherever. Uh, so, Wolf of Wall Street. This was a film, as I said, directed by Scorsese. It was written by Terrence Winter, but this is what I find most interesting about this week's assignment. It is based on the book by Jordan Belfort. Jordan Belfort is the main character in this Ooh. film, which means The Wolf of Wall Street is in fact based on actual events. So we're doing a sham fiction about a movie that is about something that actually happened. So it's dangerous. Uh, it is dangerous because when you get everything wrong, we don't want people to think that, that we're actually representing the real human beings that are on display here. Cause, cause we're not, we're, we're several levels removed from that. It is just a, 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 a compiling of the ignorance that we have for the <laughs> actual things that happened. Um, so, so this is autobiographical, which is interesting. Um, yeah. And it's, it's autobiographical in an interesting way because I've read, uh, most of the book. It's an incredibly long book, so I, I pretty much got the gist of it after a while. Um, and it's it's interesting in that, I mean, this guy is just tooting his own horn, you know? He is... You can't really... You, you can't know for sure if any of this actually happened. So the book in and of itself, you know, who knows if yeah, any a... of this stuff actually happened. It's so crazy. There's a definite smug factor in this piece that uh, we'll definitely talk more about. Um, so this film came out in 2013, as I already mentioned. If you want to check it out and, and experience the smug for yourself, uh, you can check it out on Blu-ray DVD, as always. Order it. Perhaps order it from Amazon. Uh, as That's the only place that I buy anything anymore <laughs> because I don't like leaving the house. Ah. Uh, you can also uh, watch it on Hulu. It's available. Uh, it's uh, available on Amazon Prime, Amazon Video. It's it's on Prime if you got it, and other paid streaming sites. Uh, so check it out. Um, the genre is since it is realistic or it is based on real events. It is technically a biopic, um, mm -hmm. but it is a comedy. It's definitely funny. Uh, it is dramatic. There's a lot of high stakes happening here. And it is a crime movie. We're talking about criminals. People who are doing things that they should not be doing. Slap on the wrist. No, no, no. That sort of crime movie. That's right. Uh, and why do we love it, Andrew? Do you love this? Do you love The Wolf of Wall Street? Tell me your opinion on The Wolf of Wall Street. I love this movie. That's what I wanted to hear. It's 
I, I, I am a, I'm a Scorsese fan. Uh, I was telling Eric uh, earlier today, he was like, do you know anything about Scorsese? And I was like, let me tell you about Scorsese. I wrote a, I wrote a 20-plus page paper about that man in college. I think I am a pretty good source of information. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, I like this guy. Double-spaced pages. Yeah, man. <laughs> that stuff. Oh, and we should just say this is we have an explicit tag on this episode. You probably already <laughs> noticed because we're going to be swearing like shit. <laughs> that's a good one. What else is there uh, that could that's be? How, that's how a five-year-old swears. There's like, I just learned this new word, shit. <laughs> so that's it's apropos, Marcus, because these guys are childish. Like this, okay. this, this, these guys, they're, they're they're all they're children, you know. But I, again, I love this movie because I love Scorsese. But this movie specifically holds my attention for its three-hour running time. Oh. Yeah, three exactly three hours. Uh, of debauchery. This movie is just the worst stuff happening, and it's amazing because it is Scorsese shooting the worst, most batshit insane stuff in with the energy that Scorsese brings. Like it's never boring. It's just a, an assault of 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 crazy, and <laughs> and the stuff that these guys do. Again, because you know that it's based on a true story, it tells you that. <laughs> um, you know, that adds this level of like, oh my god, what I'm watching is like at least based on something that happened? What? That's insane. So that adds such a level of interest. Like, it, it kind of brings you in because of how real it could possibly have been. Um, sure. So that's a big factor into it. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about Scorsese. Andrew, Mr. 20-page paper, what, uh, what, a, what, 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 what makes a Scorsese movie? What makes Scorsese. a Scorsese, t- like, story? Well, a story, you know, with this guy, he's told a lot of, you know, a lot of his stories. He's a long-winded man. His films, <laughs> if they're under two and a half hours, you're lucky. Uh, this guy, <laughs> he's long-winded, but he's not slow. Scorsese has a huge amount of energy. And that's what makes this film great, because this guy, he's in his 70s, and Wolf of Wall Street might be his most energetic movie he's ever made. Um, it moves, it's immediate, it's intense, you know, these, these things, whether it's a comic situation or a dramatic situation, Scorsese attacks it. You know, so that can, in terms of, it's it's tough to talk about Scorsese in the same way that it's difficult to talk about Wes Anderson without talking about his visuals. Um, I think what you can apply from Scorsese into your prose is immediacy, um, mm-hmm. is confrontation. Um, the man just throws stuff in your face, and sometimes the camera literally just dives in, you know, that he is very aggressive he's a very muscular filmmaker um which if you can try and work that into the situation because again the stuff that these guys get into is batshit it's 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 crazy um and scorsese doesn't shy away from that stuff and he's also very objective in how he portrays it marcus what do you, what, do you have something I, to I say i just want to hear about it you, you just you're building me up too much you got to tell me what this movie's about uh, other than Jordan oh, Belfort. Fine. So, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll kick this off then. So, yeah. We got Jordan Belfort. Uh, one of the things that I think works with Scorsese's style so well is that it's all first person. It's very, very first person. There's a narrator in the story, and it is Jordan himself, which makes sense because this is based on the book that he wrote. So I talked about the smugness that is present here it's because he's tooting his own horn in the script he is talking about himself and how awesome he is and how great he is at what he does and what does he do i'll tell you he works on wall street he's a self-made man he he figured out a way to uh exploit a, a a bit of a loophole in the financial system in that he realized that he could sell penny stocks which are just garbage stocks for like garbage companies that are worth nothing uh but the the 
the uh, the premiums, the the percentages that a stockbroker can get off of these penny stocks are super high. So you sell a stock uh, for literally uh, a penny uh, for a crap company that isn't worth anything. And when it makes money back, or, or, or not when it makes money back, but when you sell it, you make like half a penny off of that. So for every dollar of these stocks you sell, you make 50 cents. So if you can sell a million dollars worth of these crap stocks, you can get $500,000 for yourself. Like that's the, the thing. He realized that, but everybody had ignored it because it's, it's literally worthless. Like I want these to go stocks. To there. Yeah, these stocks are, are, like I said, they're garbage. They're, like usually people are selling five bucks worth of this stuff. This guy comes along, Jordan Belfort, and he's like, nah, we're just gonna pretend that these are expensive stocks and sell a shit ton of them and make a shit ton of money. And that's the, the clear distinction is that the reason that no one had done this before is because of the moral and ethical implications that Belfort decided to completely disregard. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's literally illegal what he does. Like there's, there, you can't do this because it's it's uh, it's misleading the consumer. It is taking advantage of the idiot uh, money having population of this country, and says, "Hey, yeah. you, you got a ton of money. Spend it on this great company that's totally the next Google." And so that's, uh, of course, that's fraud, it's not right. Yeah, and yes. that's yes. abandoning your fiduciary responsibility. Yes. That's exactly. what this movie is all about. And Jordan Belfort thinks he is pretty damn smart to mm. do this. And it works pretty well for him. So this is a movie, like I said, it's a crime film. So it is all about fraud. It's about that, uh, that uh, the, 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 the exact thing that I just talked about, selling these penny stocks. It's also about insider trading. It's about any sort of financial system no-no you can imagine uh, Jordan Belfort takes advantage of and makes a ton of money. Uh, so what else can you say about this guy? What does he do? Where does he work? Andrew? Yeah, so he takes all this money that he earns from selling penny stocks and he starts Stratton Oakmont. Uh, which is a complete bullshit company. Uh, he came <laughs> up with the name because those names sounded waspy enough that people would trust them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're not even names of anybody that works there. He just made it up. Um, and Belfort, he's, like Eric said, he is. he doesn't come from wealth. He comes from a kind of a poor family, like lower middle class, probably. And so his thing is that he is just embracing capitalism. Like he just, capitalism is his, he, he, he preaches it. But he preaches it, you know, in a way that's just excessive. You know, he, he thinks that his goal in life and all of our goals in life should just be to make as much money as possible and exploit that system as much as possible. Um, and he surrounded himself with these buddies that he grew up with. At like, you know, these guys that they're from, like, the lesser parts of Long Island or, or New Jersey, you know, wherever Jordan came from, just low-rung crooks. And these guys are his friends, and he's bringing his buddies in to work at Stratton Oakmont, these guys that have no moral compass, that are just like Jordan and want to exploit the system. So think about these guys, these crooks. Now they have millions of dollars behind them. What are they going to do with it? And that's what the movie explores. <laughs> and these guys, uh, Jordan specifically, all about salesmanship. The reason he does so well is because he can get on the phone with somebody and convince them to, to part with $100,000 on some stock that he basically just invented. You know, like he is able to to get that out of people. And he preaches that in his company. Uh, there is a script that they all follow uh, when they're on the phone uh, when trying to sell these garbage stocks. Uh, one thing to note that I don't think we've said yet is that this takes place in the early 90s. Oh. So this all happened early 90s. Think about that kind of uh, that 80s, 90s uh, wealthy excess like think about the styles, think about the the Hamptons, think about yachts, think mm-hmm. about 
blazers with no tie. Think about, uh, I, I'm like lacking on visuals because when I think of it, I just think of like this movie. This is all about excess. This is money for the sake of money. Wealth that doesn't get you anything other than more wealth. This is capitalism for the sake of capitalism. This company is so crazy, Stratton Oakmont, and they make so much money that at the end of every single day, they throw a party. There are marching bands, there are strippers, <laughs> there are hookers, there are drugs of every kind, and everyone is having a good time. Everyone is partying. Everybody who works there wants to get rich and wants to have a good time. That is why they're there, and they love it. It's all debauchery all the time. These people are terrible. Yeah, it's hedonistic. You know, it's these parties are like the money is literally just being thrown around like think magic mike but with a (laughs) bunch of coke and pills layered on top of that money like and and there are constantly naked ladies everywhere because these guys have no shame whatsoever and again yeah this stuff just happens in their office right because this is not all no it's not no mostly Um, mostly yeah but the the ladies kind of just go with it yeah yeah, they're all um. they're all looking for the same thing. They're all looking for a good time. Um, and so the other people kind of involved, it is mostly about uh, Jordan. Uh, he is the main guy, but he's got, uh, like like Andrew said, the, his main crew. Uh, his right-hand man is Donnie Azoff, uh, who is played by Jonah Hill. Um, what would you say about Mr. Hill, Andrew? Donnie, Donnie. is such a weird dude. Um, he married his cousin because she was hot and he didn't want anybody <laughs> else to have her. So he married her. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Donnie. So Jordan is delusional, but Jordan is also, he's an intelligent crook. You know, he, he knows he's a salesman. He's a talker. He can get people on his side. Donnie is just a grotesque. Like he, <laughs> he, Embraces all the same things that Jordan does, but without any of the um, charming personality. You know, he's just a weird kind of sniveling rat of a man. He's got a great set of of teeth. He's got a great pair of glasses. He's just, he's he's a cartoon. Yeah, you look at him, you want to punch him. Yeah, he he and Jordan are the perfect storm. They are so bad for one another because they're enablers. They're, They're, all they are doing is encouraging each other to be worse and worse and to take advantage of people and exploit people and to make more money and do the most drugs and it's crazy just batshit insane and the other major character is jordan's wife uh naomi and she's played by margot roby in the uh in the movie um and naomi is a beautiful beautiful woman she was a model in some magazine i can't remember at some point but uh so she's a beautiful woman uh but she's got she's you know she's got a bit of a head on her shoulders she doesn't uh she's she's got sass she throws whatever jordan throws in her direction back at him um she isn't easy you know she isn't one of those girls she she makes him work for it and Um, yet at the same time when he meets her uh jordan is like with you know he's he's got a wife already and uh, Naomi has a boyfriend or something, and it doesn't matter to Jordan. <laughs> they get together anyway. Of course. Uh, so she's from she's from like a wealthy Long Island family. She's very um, Long Island. So Ugh. she is like think of like the epitome of what Eric mentioned, like '90s Long Island waspy. She's a she's Italian, I guess. Um, yeah. So I shouldn't she's say she's waspy a, she's too much. A, she's a princess. Yeah. She is a Long exactly. Island princess. Uh, and yeah, so this, the relationship is screwed up. Um, they do end up getting married, um, and living in a giant mansion and, you know, the previous relationships be damned. Uh, cause that's just the sort of, uh, story this is, uh, that they don't really care about anybody and they're terrible people and people get thrown aside if they don't, aren't needed anymore. If somebody, somebody better comes along or whatever, it's great. So the last character that we should probably say specifically is uh, Agent Denim, 
uh, Patrick Denham, who's played by Kyle Chandler in the movie, and he's like the representation of the law that is chasing Jordan. He's a, you know, just kind of your like stand-up guy, no nonsense, um, trying to bring Jordan down. Um, we don't get much of a sense of this character other than he's a workaholic and is, you know, he's got, I think he has a family, um, but he is more just, he's concerned about the work. We see him on the work side of things and he's doing everything in his power to bring down Jordan. Jordan is like a special project of his to bring down. Yeah, this is the only good person in this whole movie, basically. What agency does he work for? FBI. Okay. Yep. Yep. You'll you'll hear a lot about the the FBI and the uh, SEC. Those are mm-hmm. the two main uh, agencies going after Jordan and Stratton Oakmont. Yeah. So the biggest tone thing I can tell you about this uh, this this property is that. The ramifications of their actions mean nothing to them. There are consequences for what they're doing, and they know it, and they just don't care, and they keep doing it, no matter what. Because what? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to they're gonna slap a fine on them? Whatever, they'll pay it. They have the money. They have endless money. That's their deal. Um, it, it like, and it doesn't just, uh, factor into the criminal things that they're doing specifically, um, in their, in their work. This is about their lifestyle too. Uh, is there a a consequence to doing endless drugs? Of course there's a consequence to doing endless drugs, but they don't care. They're going to keep doing endless drugs and drinking endless booze and having sex with endless hookers. And it goes on and on and tossing midgets in the workplace, you know, whatever, whatever they want to do that happens. Uh, right away in the beginning, actually, it's like the first thing we see. It's how we get introduced to the movie is they have a, a, uh, a, a dwarf in a, uh, Velcro suit and they throw him at a Velcro target. It's fantastic. Wow. Yep. So that's the sort of parties they're throwing. Um, so and these are yeah. the things that Jordan thought were worth including when he was telling his story. Oh yeah. I <laughs> yeah. Mean, <laughs> no, these are in so. the book that the, these things are in the book. He does not shy away from any of it. Um, but he also, you know, he kind of speaks of it with, you know, like, oh, that was something we shouldn't have done, but he included it, so I don't think he cares all that much. <laughs> um, yep. So, but these guys, you know, they're constantly trying to find ways to smuggle money um, because they're making too much. They can't be, um, you know, putting it into U.S. banks, so they're opening Swiss bank accounts. Um, but the stuff that they're spending it on is just ridiculous. Um, like Eric said, like, they have for Jordan's bachelor party when he marries Naomi, they go to Vegas and like rent out or yeah, rent out like the entire top floor of a casino and spend like millions and millions of dollars in two days and just destroy it. You know, they have no, they don't care that they ruin property or anything. They just go for it. No consequences to their actions and they do pretty well for themselves. Um, so yeah, potential scenes, like what, what you could base this around. Honestly, I don't have a specific uh, scene that I want to see. I just want to see these elements. I want to see the debauchery. I want to see Jordan uh, tooting his own horn. Uh, I want to see drugs and sex and all the things that we can expect from an R-rated Scorsese picture. That's that's all I want to see. I mean, Andrew, what, what kind of conflict can he deal with what sort of things are happening in this that he could that marcus could take advantage of well i would say that they're the conflicts that matter to jordan um so think about a guy who has these this money and lives this lifestyle what would be a conflict to this guy like Oh, uh, we we plan to have this this you know for him this midget tossing competition and the midgets are sick. We can't get them. What are we gonna do now? You know, like something that's so grotesque and weird, but it's a conflict for them. You know, because mm-hmm. that sort of thing happens. Like they have like long winded conversations about you know how best to. I think well in the movie they have that conversation. That's why it popped into my head about how they can pull off this midget tossing competition. You know, yeah, like yeah. they have that conversation. Um, or, you know, you know, it's, it's conflicts that to the rest of us don't make any sense. 
and aren't conflicts. They're never questions we should be asking of ourselves, but they are asking them. And they are trying to solve the problem. Uh, other problems he could face are, oh, no, I did too many drugs. Now I can't meet my in-laws or whatever, you know. Or how about uh, um, I did too many drugs and I can't drive this yacht back to harbor. Uh, there's a lot of conflicts that involved, oh, no, I did too many drugs. Um, and Or just, oh, I don't respect anybody in my life, so those people maybe might come back to haunt me. I don't know. Maybe my personal life is, is affected somehow. Um, it, it, there's, there's all sorts of options. Uh, but please, if you have any, any questions, do you need further clarification? Do you want to kind of run through what, what we've told you so far? Yeah, so I'm trying to get a handle on why you love this, because you both said that these are horrible people doing horrible things. Is it just like a train wreck that you can't look away from? Is it just the crafting is so well done? What makes you really love this movie? You know what it is? It's the energy, it's the style, and it's seeing... Uh, the, it's, like, it's like watching an alien world. It's like uh, peering beyond the veil and seeing... Uh, uh, something that you never knew existed. Uh, it is excess to the nth degree. It is something that I didn't... It, like, just looking at the money flowing and the lifestyle is almost enough. Like, even mm -hmm. if there was no plot, it's almost enough just to see these people living this way. And, and it's almost unbelievable. It's kind of like the big short that just came out uh, this past year. We're kind that. of looking yeah. at how the system worked and, and how people took advantage of it and, and just what's going on. It's just like, it's just kind of, it blows your mind. Um, and that's almost the same sort of reaction to this movie. Sure. And, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we get into bonus points or do you, or no, you want, let's do recap. You want to do recap? recap? Yeah, let me, let me do a recap. So this is The Wolf of Wall Street, and we'll be writing about Jordan Belford, who wrote an autobiography that this film was based on, although we will point out to Belford and his legal representation that we are not actually making comments on him or his lifestyle. We are doing a fictionalized version of a fictionalized interpretation of his life. Uh, that being said, very smug film. It's kind of a biopic with comedy, drama, and criminal elements. Uh, <laughs> my notes here have both childish and full of debauchery on the same line. Mm -hmm. So childish debauchery sounds about right. Yep. This is going to be a really intense film. There's this aggressive style to it. You have Jordan who lives in a world without consequences. He started poor, and so he thinks making money is the greatest thing and is an ends of itself. And he just spends money on everything, nonstop, excess hedonism, just a ridiculous tableau of spoiling and ruining your life. And he does it all with charm because he's Leo. So mm -hmm. he's looking good. He's making the ladies feel good. Maybe, maybe he's being terrible. Uh, he marries Naomi, who's played by Margot Robbie, and she's a former model who will throw the sass right back at him. Again, not a very good person either. I'm guessing they both cheat on each other a lot. Uh, I get a clear interpretation that Jordan is probably still hiring hookers and sleeping around, but I would imagine Naomi's doing the same and Andrew is nodding his head. Uh, then you've got Donnie, who's a lot like Jordan, but he's kind of like a mole monster, if we were to go back to Titanate <laughs> speak. <laughs> so he's this hideous, grotesque debauchery machine, and he's played by Jonah Hill, which is delightful. Mm -hmm. He married his cousin because, disgustingly, he thought she was too attractive for anyone else to have, and he just eggs Jordan on and makes things so much worse. Uh, and then you've got Agent Patrick Denham, who's maybe the only good person in this film. He's with the FBI, he's a workaholic, and he's just trying to bring some justice to these people who are so untouchable that they aren't concerned with any consequences. And there's going to be a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of just a lot of anything. If there's anything in it, it's going to be a lot in quantity. So that's the basic info I have. Is there anything important that I'm missing there? Ugh, no. I mean, bonus points. We'll give you some bonus points here. Please do. Uh, Andrew, you kick it off. Yeah, uh, so my bonus points is that I want you to offend me. Uh, I want you to have the characters do something or say something so terrible 
that I shiver in my boots. I, like, cause we've already been throwing the word midget around, <laughs> and that is not a good word to say for uh, the little people, um, and these guys, that's all they would call little people. That's all they would call, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's terrible, terrible stuff all the time, so please, offend me, do something awful. Oof, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, and use a lot of foul language, obviously. That's that's not my bonus point, but that's just a commandment. You have to use a lot of nasty foul language. Um, just invent the worst things ever is your assignment. So I believe in you. Uh, my uh, bonus point is about a, a lovely little uh, item called a quaalude. Um, there uh, is an extensive sequence in this film that explains what a quaalude is. Um, and it is a, it's a downer. It's a pill. I've been talking a lot about just drugs in general terms. Cause they do, they do everything. They do Coke. Uh, they're doing heroin. They're drinking excessively. Um, but they love their quaaludes, which they refer to lovingly as ludes. They, you gotta get the fucking ludes. Um, this is a, a downer, a pill that, uh, was produced, uh, pharmaceutically for a very short amount of time, as they explain in the film, which means that there's a limited supply in the world. They stopped getting made years ago. So the quaaludes that exist now are the only quaaludes that will ever exist. They, uh, it is so ridiculously expensive because the supply is so limited and yet their demand be so high son uh it's their favorite drug they do it all the time i want to see ludes i want to see a ton of ludes uh in fact uh there's a possibility maybe i want to see a scene where one or many of the characters uh become progressively more fucked up on ludes as it Mm. goes i'm not saying that there's a scene in the film that that takes advantage of this and, and has people on way too many ludes uh, for comedic effect. I'm not saying it's my favorite film or favorite scene in the film, uh, <laughs> but I definitely want to see it in yours. So uh, good luck. All right. I think I've got a lot of imagining to do because this is not me. No. <laughs> good. I take my fiduciary responsibility very seriously. I've taken multiple classes in ethics in my business program. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, write I work for the a very, bank. <laughs> <laughs> write the very opposite of everything you've been learning. I think you'll do all right. Perfect. Perfect. All right, get out of here. I'm gone. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Hey folks, if you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. Alright, thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. All right, listening audience, while Marcus is away doing lewds and coke and God knows what else, Andrew and I are going to talk about what we think he's going to write about. Andrew, what do you think? What are we going to see from our man Marcus? Oh, man. Well, I can only hope that whatever he's writing is incredibly racist. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that'd be nice. I don't know if that's going to be the case. You know, I think that Marcus is is a little too uh, aware, self-aware of that sort of thing. I don't think he would write uh, very racist characters because I think he would be uh, he wouldn't want to promote that those sorts of ideas. He doesn't want his characters to represent terribleness because he himself does not want to represent terribleness. And that's, I think, where this is a challenge. Oh, but yeah, I want, I, I, I you know, yeah, we talked a bit before uh, recording here that we neither of us really has any idea of what to expect. But I do hope he stretches himself. And there's, because there's a difference between writing racist, racist characters and being racist yourself. So I really want him to stretch. Um, not that it has to be racist, but just like, again, I want him to offend me, as I've already established. Um, yeah. But no, I think I want I want at least four different types of drug references in this. So we mentioned the ludes, but yeah. I want there to be coke, and I want there to be things that maybe he's just made up. You know, like 
whatever sauce these guys are doing, you Why know, not? I, I, mean, I want to hear. Getting, I want to hear at least four different types. They could be downing mouthwash or something. It doesn't matter. Uh, just some sort of chemicals that are altering their minds. Yes, would yes. be awesome. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I what I want to see is uh, something we sort of alluded to, uh, where the movie tells you stuff. Like like the references to lewds, it explains to the audience what lewds are. And yeah. I want to see any sort of educational moment in this. I just want to learn something. That's going to be my, <laughs> my secret bonus point is just, did I learn something? If I did, he gets it. Uh, learn something like the movie teaches you. The movie is a exactly. very educational film. Uh, Absolutely. It should be shown in schools. Yeah, this Let's, is what uh, not to do with your lives, children. <laughs> Don't do this. Don't be these garbage people. <laughs> Perfect. All right, let's bring him in. Let's hear what he read. All right. Hey, guys, I just wrote you something, and it's only going to cost you a few pennies per page to hear it. That's a good deal. I can yeah. go for that. Yeah, it's not and bad. I'm no, I'm no schmuck, and I'll go for that. That sounds like a good deal. <laughs> You're no sucker, Andrew. Heck no. <laughs> the listeners aren't even paying. <laughs> It's a good deal all around. All right, let's hear it. Bring it on. All right. I'm going I'm I'm to give you the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm, I'm excited for this one. Just oh, getting my space we here. We are, too. <laughs> yep. British. Uh, wait. No. What? No. <laughs> we did, did a terrible job setting up this yeah. movie. It's a British parlor drama. Okay, uh-huh. here we go. Marcus Mann writes The Wolf of Wall Street. Explicit warning again. Oh, no. Do you regret what you said? Are you fucking kidding me? I'm a federal agent, Mr. Becker, and I'm asking you, do you regret what you said? Look, this is a goddamn hospital. I've got a few other things on my mind right now, like when I'll be able to move again without screaming. So if you don't have a warrant, I think this investigation of yours is over. In other words, piss off. You misunderstand me, Mr. Becker. This isn't an official investigation. If it was, the FBI might be interested in what you were doing high on quaaludes, on an unregistered yacht in international waters, with no less than five members of the Jersey Mafia. The fucking mob was there? Inconsequential. I'm only interested in him. (laughs) Belfort. Yes. And if I don't talk? There are plenty of reporters outside who would love to put you on the record, and we know how well that worked out for you last time. I could also recommend to my director that we do a little more official digging into your story, which would also become a matter of public record. The choice is yours. I just want to talk. Privately. But I'm only going to ask you one more time. Do you regret what you said? Fucking yes, okay? I said that to Belford, too, for all the good it did me. Ow! Why did you say it, then? Because it's true. And this just proves it. I mean, what kind of psychopath is this guy? I'm not in a position to make that kind of judgment. Why don't you talk me through what happened after the article was published? Well, for a while it was great. Avant-garde documentary filmmaker George Becker takes on Wall Street. They called me a filmmaker, even though I hadn't found any funding in over five years. But this article was starting to turn even that around. I was getting calls. I wasn't the only one in Hollywood who thought that way about places like Stratton Oakmont. I was just the only one with a shitty enough career to say something and the dumb luck enough to be able to grab one of the firm's names out of the air. So you weren't targeting Stratton Oakbot specifically? No, I was just pulling that out of my ass, you know? Trying to sound smart. I'd read the name in a paper a few days before, while waiting to meet an investor who never showed up, by the way. Stuck with me. Now I'll never forget it. You weren't afraid of repercussions? I was just happy to talk to a reporter who wanted to talk to me. Made me feel like I was still someone, you know? And why would I worry about Belford and that Weasley guy? Aesop. <laughs> yeah, they had more money than God. What should they care about and nobody in L.A. talking shit? But the article came out and my quote was on the front page. I guess a copy made its way to New York. Complete with the worst fucking choice of words I have ever made in my life. It wasn't long after that that I received an invitation in the mail. And did the invitation explicitly state that it was from Stratton Oakmont? Yes, it did, but honestly, it never crossed my mind that they might be unhappy with me. My only thought was that I was going to be on a boat full of rich investors and free booze. When I got there, the women made me forget about that even. Are you married, Agent? Denham. Patrick Denham. 
And yes. Well, Agent Denham, on this boat, you wouldn't be. I was safe on deck, but I was drowning in an ocean of tits, you know? (laughs) Appropriate that the best moments of my life came immediately before the worst. I was drinking, I was dancing, I was groping, and then I was drugged. I can honestly tell you if someone handed me the pills... I can't honestly tell you if someone handed me the pills or slipped them in my drink. But a blackout brought me from heaven above decks to hell below. That's a little dramatic, don't you think? Two things. No, three things. First, fuck you. Second, look at me. Face down in this fucking backless gown and tell me that I'm being dramatic. And third, yes, it's fucking dramatic. I told you I hadn't raised money for a film in five years. Even I have to admit there might be a reason for that. I apologize. Please, continue. I woke up in hell. Or close enough. I didn't know how much time had passed, but when I came to, I was in the dark. Too weak to move and surrounded by the sounds of snarling. Low growls and bites on the empty air. I screamed for help, but none came. Just when I gave up hope, a door opened and light poured into the room. Belford walked in, his figure outlined in the darkness, and he said, It. There are wolves on Wall Street, and they are fucking over the American people. Your exact words from the article. My famous fucking quote. He flicked on the lights, and instantly, he was a picture of cordiality. Bright smile, handsome in a way that made his billion superfluous. George, he said. I'm so glad you got my invitation. Did you like the party? I don't know how he did it, but when he spoke, I believed him. I let down my guard and said it. It started better than it ended. He laughed at that. (laughs) And for a moment, I thought maybe this was a game to him. Some billionaire initiation. Maybe he needed a filmmaker for something, right? Christ. Since this isn't an official interrogation, I can say that you're an idiot. Thanks. (laughs) I figured that out fucking quick. (laughs) The trouble is, George, he said with that perfect smile, I was never much for the arts. I don't care for figurative language. It's so much harder to convert into cash. I care about reality. And in truth, I didn't like what you said about me and my associates. There are wolves on Wall Street, and they are fucking over the American people. Have you ever seen a wolf before, George? I nodded my head carefully. I'm surprised by that, he said. You see, this is a wolf. He stepped behind a bar and ruled out a cage that contained the wolf I'd heard when I woke up. In Belford's presence, I had forgotten it existed. Now that I saw it, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. The thing was gaunt, like it hadn't eaten in days, and it returned my stare like it was planning to change that. Belford kneeled down to the cage, but the wolf only had eyes for me. There are wolves on Wall Street, and they are fucking over the American people. Looking at this creature, I think you would have to agree that that was an unfair comparison. Do I look like a wolf to you, George? No, sir, I stammered. Then why would you say such a thing? Stratton Oakmont is only here to help the American people with sound advice and, dare I say it, winning smiles. Is it so wrong (laughs) that we make a little money doing that? If we didn't, we wouldn't be able to have nice parties like the one you said you were enjoying so much last night. I apologized to him profusely. I said I'd call the paper and make them print a retraction, but he just laughed. You seem like a man of integrity, he said. So I wouldn't want you to change your word without good reason. Tell you what, I'm going to give you an opportunity to spend some quality time with this wolf, and if you still think the comparison is fair, you won't hear from me again. It was an honest pleasure to meet you, George. Good luck with the filmmaking. There was a line wrapped around a pin at the top of the cage. And when Belfort made his way back to the door, he carried the other end of the line with him. Please, I begged. And I looked back and forth between Belfort and the snarling wolf. Please don't let the wolf eat me. I'll do anything. Eat you? Belfort laughed. He never said anything about wolves eating the American people. And with that, he pulled the cord and slammed the door. Jesus fucking Christ. For the record... I said, fucking over. But I guess he missed that part. So, what do you say, Agent Dunham? Do we have a case against this guy? Case? I told you this was just a private conversation. Technically, he didn't do anything illegal. He rented the wolf from a licensed Hollywood agency, paid the trainer handsomely, and there's no connection between Belford and the drugs found in your system. And what the hell did I just tell you that story for? Because, Mr. Becker... 
It seems you still haven't learned to keep your mouth shut. I hope I do find something I can bring Belford in on someday. Until then, I thank you for your time. The end. (laughs) (laughs) That guy, that that guy got got fucked by a wolf. Oh, he did. I will say, uh, I I did not expect it, like, at all, to have an actual wolf in this piece. (laughs) It it was an interpretation. (laughs) It was just, it was too much for me to resist. Oh, no, I'm glad you did. I mean, (laughs) Jesus. That's, uh, I I don't know how you feel, Andrew, but, I mean, are you... You asked him to offend you, and he gave you uh, bestiality. So, I mean, what do you call that? Is that are you offended? I'm more just like impressed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even mad. That's amazing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's good. I think it'll. It, it, I I will admit that it satisfies the bonus points. I mean, that's that's a whole different level of debauchery than I expected. Um, because again, it's still coming from Belfort. This is Belfort's machinations in this story that this is this happens. So yes, that absolutely satisfies that requirement. So good work. <laughs> I, uh, I got a question for you, Marcus. Yes. Uh, is there any prose in this in this piece that you wrote? No. So 100% I, dialogue. This is all dialogue. Okay. I, Very I impressive. Thought about doing it as prose, and I thought about doing it as a screenplay, but then I said I just want to play with dialogue for a few pages, sure. and that was what was exciting to me. So I did that. I'd actually started it as prose first, but I can oh, talk you, about where some of those decisions came in uh, a little yeah. bit. Want to hear what you thought? Uh, well, just from me, I, I think that was that was enjoyable. Um, I, I'm trying to kind of piece together a few criticisms because I don't think it was perfect. It it wasn't. Uh, uh, well, I think you you accomplished what you set out to do, um, which is uh, very very different than I expected going in. So instead of no uh, <laughs> focusing on uh, either Belfort or Donnie or any of the main characters, you use Denim. Uh, but even then, he was the secondary character in the scene, and instead you used a uh, an invented character, an original character, to as right. your as your viewpoint to tell the story about Belfort. Um, and uh, so it's a strong choice, um, which is good. And I got to figure out if I love it or hate it, and I haven't quite figured it out yet. <laughs> That's always so, a good uh, sign. Yeah, Andrew, what are your initial initial reactions to this? I'm pleasantly surprised um, because I will say that I think I'm a little bit with Eric where um, I kind of wanted you to ha- uh, <laughs> to fly your freak flag high on this one. And, and you did. And you did because the situation is still ridiculous. But these characters that we gave you, these two characters um, and like the situations that they're in, you know, I guess I, I, I expected more of that like lavish lifestyle and more just kind of see through their eyes. Um, because the film, you know, is through Belfort's perspective, and I was looking forward to hearing that perspective. But yet, still, you replace that with a new strong perspective, because I got to know Becker, was it? Yeah. It was Becker, right? I got to know that guy in the course of this, and I think your performance lent a lot to that, but also just within the the piece itself. Like, I, I got to... It, it was kind of fun that you chose a struggling filmmaker, too, because yeah. we know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of felt like a nightmare. Hopefully we're not as big of assholes as this guy. Uh, I won't... I can't make that judgment because I am the person we're talking about here. But... Um, yeah, so I think we still got that strong perspective. It was just from a different place than I um, was anticipating. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, so just before we kind of dig into it a little bit, tell us about this. You said this started as prose, and you got rid of the prose, deleted the prose. Boy, yeah, this was quite a process for me uh, because I started out with story inspiration was just how do I offend you Thoroughly. How do I do something that's actually offensive? Uh-huh. Yes. And 
there are a lot of sexist and racist things that I could have done, but <laughs> that just wasn't something I wanted to write about. You know, it just wasn't <laughs> wasn't gripping to me. Yeah, um, I, so, as expected. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know, like there there is writing a character, but for an exercise, I think that that's not something I need to practice, right? I don't need to practice writing a terribly racist or terribly, you know, uh, bigoted character in that way. So what, uh, I pretty quickly then settled out, what if he has a wolf eat a guy? And then I thought, what if he has a wolf fuck a guy? So, <laughs> so I did that, and I'd written about yeah. half of the story with it from Belfort's perspective. Uh, and this was in prose, so it was Belfort telling the story like, you know, maybe he does in the book, or just actually doing that direct address narration. Mm-hmm. And that was fun, because I got to just make him a complete piece of shit and talk about the extravagances and the money and all those things. But he just didn't have any stakes in the thing. So, to get this conflict, I really needed to figure out who's the character who has the most pain, who's in the potential to be in the worst situation. And that's when I decided, instead of continuing on that route, to start it over and go from Becker's perspective. Okay. And then it made sense I, to I, me, you know. I like, I like that you made those choices. No, but 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 continue. I'll I'll jump back in after you're done. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So then it, it made sense to me once I was doing Becker. I thought, well, okay, it would be kind of cool if this was something that the agent was interviewing him, and there's literally nothing he could do about it because. You know, we talked about how Belford has no consequences to any of his actions. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he's able to figure this all out. Uh, and that's where we ended up with doing this dialogue. And it's been a while since I'd written a pure dialogue. This reads a lot more like a radio thing or a stage scene, because it really is just two characters having a chat. Sure. And that's that's why I ended up. I was pretty pretty pleased. You know, it's interesting to me that you you are saying that you specifically shied away from writing the awfulness, mm-hmm. like the the misogynism, the racism, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's interesting that you chose that, uh, just because it was something that Andrew and I, I think, were really looking forward to. We talked about in the um, in the prediction segment that I was hoping, uh, or we were both hoping, that you were going to really go for the terribleness like just Mm -hmm. write a character that was completely awful in the worst ways you could possibly imagine and i had brought up um my concern that perhaps you would shy away from it because you don't like to represent yourself and your writing as as that sort of thing that you might not write a racist character for instance because you didn't want to you didn't want to promote those sorts of ideas. You didn't want to make right. it seem like those things were positive things. And that it, that's that's what you ended up doing. Um, but uh, from from I know we haven't gotten there yet, but from my point of view, as far as the score, I think it actually hurts you because I would have liked to see you stretch yourself in that direction. Uh, I think there are ways to write compelling fiction, even if your characters are complete dick bags. Sure. Yeah, and you said that that's something that you maybe didn't need practice at, but I think that is something that we all could experiment with because I think we in the future could have characters that are terrible people and learning to write those characters but still keep ourselves separate from those elements. I do think that's impo- that's possible because, I mean, you'd have to even hand it to this film as an example the filmmakers do not condone what is happening on screen, but they can still dramatize it and show us and let us judge for ourselves. So philosophically, I think that is a bit lazy. Uh, there are ways of writing despicable characters and having them be compelling, but I think going doing something like making someone misogynistic or racist as shorthand for they are a bad person just seems lazy to me, right? It's It's so easy. It's like littering a script with uh, swearing to make it edgier. So I did try to find something that was... I mean, this is forced bestiality, which is pretty bad. <laughs> it's it's not wolf. great. Uh, not, not ideal situation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, but I, I think that I didn't get to fully write this evil character in a interesting way. And it there's some difficulty because it's based on a real person. 
but yeah. there's a difference between practicing writing a bad person and practicing writing a bad person because they're offensive. And that's where I was drawing the line, right? So I didn't like that the badness comes from those places. I tried to come up with a way that you could be bad that wasn't based on denigrating groups of people. And this is what I ended up with. So maybe I could have found other ways to make them terrible, but that's that's where I wound up. Sure. Um, you know, one of the really interesting technical things that you did, because um, we talked about how you just did dialogue, but you kind of dropped into this sort of separate, and maybe there's a word for this, but this storytelling thing where a character's dialogue dips into its own form of prose. He mm-hmm. is telling a story from his point of view, um, which is interesting. And I've read a lot of stuff that that uses that that device and it's always a little sketchy to me and i think this is personal preference um where it's a really cool idea but after a while you realize that the the character who's telling the story is writing an awful lot like the author writes and sure it i i question some of the moments and i couldn't tell you specifics just because you know hearing it once and not reading it um where it felt like it was not george's voice um, and that would be, I think, the only like technical criticism I'd give you is just to like if you were to do a, a round two draft on this, just go back through, make sure all the all of George's lines uh, really do speak uh, and can be performed through his same voice. Uh, so getting rid of some of the fancy languages and like the the sort of moments where it's like I said as the wolf snarled at me, you know these which are great in fiction to set right. the scene, but if you're a character talking about it, you might not say it in that way. You might not do a compound sentence that says, I said it this way as the wolf snarled. I'd say, uh, I said the sentence. The wolf fucking snarled at me. And then I fucking shat my pants. You know, just keep it more stream of thought. That would yeah. be my only only big technical criticism. Yeah, I, I want to comment on how I thought this was interesting because Belfort's book... Um, he writes in this way that he's recollecting events of his life, but he writes them as scenes. He he oh. actually writes dialogue back and forth. That's hilarious. Um, between him and these characters, he recreates again from just his own memory how scenes went down. So it's it's really weird. So this kind of felt like that. That's very strange. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was strange that you went that direction because it felt of the book, which we didn't get into too much, but it did feel kind of like that similar technique. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Any right. other uh, criticisms or or things that you liked? Uh, accuracies, inaccuracies from from the source before we dive into our final scores. Uh, I will say that I really liked the uh, Belfort's entrance into this piece. Um, it felt uh, appropriately. Uh, <laughs> you know, exciting and and also just like super villain like, um, which you could see from an outside perspective being very fitting for him, and he might even like it a little bit too. Um, and then also just the the journey of this character, I really appreciated how he says, you know, the Wall Street is fucking over people, and then he becomes a hypocrite. You know, he falls into it and celebrates it and falls right into it. So, uh, yeah, those are things that I really appreciated. This Again, I think you created a really strong character with this Becker guy. I, I think I got to know him over this piece. Yeah, that character. I'd agree with you, Andrew. That um, I think that is the strongest part of, uh, of this piece, is this character that you completely created. It's all your own. You gave us everything about him, and we learned so much just through how he spoke and what he chose to talk about uh, that it was uh, it was just it was the strongest piece. Um, I thought that the agent that uh, uh, what's his name Denim uh, was a little bland, but that's okay. We weren't focusing on him. We were focused on it, focusing on this other guy. So, uh, but you chose to do a dialogue piece, and it worked. It was a lot of fun. I could tell that you were enjoying the writing the dialogue. Yeah. No, I definitely was. And it was fun to do that story within a story thing. So mm-hmm. characters telling stories. I You totally caught me red-handed. There's definitely some Marcus language in Becker's <laughs> recounting of events. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that happens. It's definitely something that when you're doing something that's a quick draft, like a sham fiction or just the first draft of anything, 
you'll fall into more than you do in revision. Oh, I think yeah. the first draft, uh, when you don't very carefully plot out all the beats, is very much going to be making the bones of the piece. And if any of that meat lasts into the whole shebang at the end after many revisions, fantastic. Yeah, you I mean, you're just trying to get your thoughts on paper. You're trying to get the story out on the page, and it's yeah. not going to be perfect. And we understand that. Hopefully our, our listeners understand that, too. Um, yes. So I want to... Are you ready uh, to score this yeah, thing? Yeah, let's score it. Please. Um, so first of all, and I'll, I'll begin if it's all right, Andrew. Yeah, do it. Um, there are definitely inaccuracies in this from the source material, but I don't give a shit. Uh, the source is not is not uh, anything I care too much about. I don't I don't whatever you make make characters up. You make uh, the 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 what is the name Leo? I can't remember people's names. Belfort. Uh, you make Belfort a mob boss basically. Ah, fine, whatever. I don't care. He's feed, he's uh, he's having he's having wolves fuck people. Why not? Um, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, for uh, I think what you were trying to do, you did a good job. Um, there were a couple things, as I mentioned, that didn't quite work for me. Um, but overall, really strong piece. You uh, you had some references to, to uh, drugs and chemicals, which I appreciated. Um, but we didn't get to see that full onslaught of debauchery that I was hoping for with my mm-hmm. bonus points, where I asked you to add quaaludes. And you got quaaludes in there a little bit in reference, so I'm only going to give you a half a point for that. Um, and... Andrew, help me out here. What the hell did I say with my bonus points? Oh, learning, right? Yeah, learning. Yeah, I wanted to learn something uh, oh, from your, your piece as for my secret bonus points. And you know what? I did, actually. Um, I, I think that story kind of counts. The way that you delivered that first-person dialogue from this guy did it taught it told me a story in a way. And I, I learned a little bit. So I'll kind of give you another another half a point. Uh, for that so overall start a fire exactly uh so overall uh i am going to give you oh this is tricky um i want to use money as my metric um but that's boring Uh, i'm not gonna pay you cash for your piece so i'm just gonna have to go with um you're gonna get two out of three tossed midgets (laughs) <laughs> oh god <laughs> you know maybe maybe two and a half but i feel like splitting a midget down the middle oh gosh is, don't do that yeah let's let's not talk about that <laughs> um yeah so for me yeah i think um i my uh my my expectations got in the way of this a bit um but uh i do like the journey that we went on here um and I think you, I definitely think is as much as I wanted you to stretch in maybe a different direction, you'd stretched in a direction, um, and, and created, uh, and still created a very unlikable villain. Um, <laughs> even though it was a different type of, uh, uh, terrible thing that I expected. <laughs> um, my, uh, my secret bonus points was I was hoping you would reference at least four different types of controlled substances being done Ooh. four different types yeah. Um, we got the lewds in there, which is the most important, but I think that was the only, uh, specified, uh, drug at yeah. one point. Uh, but you, and I think, as I said earlier, the fact that this guy got fucked by a wolf is enough to offend. It should <laughs> offend. I, I think most normal people in the audience are offended, uh, but I've never considered my offenses normal. <laughs> so, uh, you just I'll thought still it was funny. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, man, uh, I'm gonna give you, um, I'm gonna give you uh, four out of five quaaludes. Um, I think that's an easy one to do. Um, it's that'll, enough to that'll fuck, that'll fuck you, you up. up. Uh, <laughs> but it uh, isn't it, the whole shebang. <laughs> I mean, that could that could probably kill you. So you know, pretty yeah, good. Uh, probably pretty good. Yeah. myself. Yeah, almost all the way to a lethal dose. So there you go. Uh, it's slightly less offensive than my metric. Uh, I apologize to the short people of the world. I'm just channeling my inner Jordan, inner Jordan Belfort. Uh, but overall, Marcus, you did a you did a really good job. I enjoyed listening to this piece. It was a lot of fun. Way different than we expected, clearly. But yeah. uh, you made a choice. You went for it. You did something cool and different that we haven't heard on the show, and that's always good. So gotta make choices. 
So, uh, Andrew, would you do me a favor? Let me know yep. where I could watch The Wolf of Wall Street, if I were so inclined. Yeah, you can get it uh, on Blu-ray, uh, DVD. So if you buy physical media, um, you should do that. I've, I, I've done that. I, I own the Blu-ray. It's beautiful. Um, and then Hulu, Amazon Video, other streaming places. It's uh, if, if, if you want to see it, which uh, Eric and I highly re- recommend that you do, it is available out there for you. And so it is check it out. It is weird. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's three hours long. It's a Scorsese movie, so yeah. anything under two and a half is like, what's what's the point? Um, <laughs> so yeah, three hours of quite the wild ride, um, but it's fun. It's good. Check it out. Awesome. Well, we're gonna get out of here. Any final thoughts from you guys, Andrew Marcus? Thank you guys. It was fun. Uh, dabbling in wall street i'll try to avoid either being a wolf bride or setting a wolf on anyone when i graduate my business school (laughs) well you know when you're at the top uh who's gonna stop you who's gonna stop you just do your thing patrick denham that's that's who yeah oh i'm so intimidated all right give him a spinoff all right (laughs) beautiful all right thanks everybody this has been another a glorious episode of fan fan fiction this is Whoa, the show's that's called not what we're doing fan fiction the show no this is sham fiction all right bye next time bye-bye Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey there, Key Sham Demo. Next week, Eric will be risking radiation and teen angst as he travels back to Earth's surface from the safety of our satellite colony. You know, for reasons. Let's just hope that there isn't anything terrible on the planet. Wait, spoilers! There's some terrible things on the planet! Until then, I'll be busy making sure all future space flights have zero redundant communication equipment. Because that probably wouldn't be important for anything.